You're listening to a message from Oaks Church, Brooklyn. Our longing is to see heaven come to earth in our city. For more information on our church and community, please visit oaksbk.church. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 1 through 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction and prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance, for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Ryan, I'm one of the pastors here, and I have the distinct privilege of starting a new series for us this summer. It'll be our summer series entitled Sophia, which is fitting we had Sophie read the series title verse for Sophia. If you're like, man, why are we preaching about Sophia? What did she do that was so special? Sophia is the Greek word for wisdom. And we'll be doing an exploration this summer of the Proverbs, where we will be looking at a biblical perspective on what it means to live wisely in the world. But before we dive in, and before I pray for us to kind of settle our hearts, I do want to make this note. Um, Talking to someone before service started, and just about how 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 can we connect and Um, How can people get better plugged in into this community? And a a week like this, 4th of July, is an apt opportunity to connect with one another. Now, here's what I'll say. Growing up in New York City, I am often, um, to my shame, assume that people are connected in this city. That's not the case, and many of you know this to be true. And as a church community, here's what tends to happen. We come to church, we find the people we connect with well, and then we forget that there are other people who still want to connect. We kind of forget where we've come from. And so here's my challenge to you. We had this whole summer Sabbath thing Meg talked about. If you're like hosting a 4th of July gathering, you're like, man, I got some space for a few people from church who might just want to get to know somebody. I want you to send me their details. You could use the, if you go to our website, the forms, like the the splash page that comes up, or you can just email me, ryan at oaksbk.church. Because I think it's time for us to remember there are still people new in this community who want to connect. And those of us who are settled and connected, it's actually incumbent on us to help make those connections. So I leave you with that. Let's pray, and then we'll dive into today's word from the Lord. Father, we ready our hearts to receive from you. We say, have your way in us. Open our hearts, open our ears, that we might discern what you want to say to your people today. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, um, usually here at Oaks, um, we love to root our preaching in like the embodied reality of life. And so usually this takes the form of us sharing stories, not just our personal stories, but the collective stories we share in our cultures and in our communities. And I always struggle with this part because I'm the kind of guy, I like to get to the brass tacks. I like to get right into the root of things. But also at the same time, there is a wisdom 
no pun intended, to embodying these things we're talking about, to root them in reality. And this Sunday, I was struggling to finding some way to root this discussion on wisdom in my daily life. That is until God granted me a story to share with y'all, which is this. I was making coffee for some friends. Now, I grew up in a Puerto Rican household. We use what's called a greca. If you don't know what that is, it's just like a, fan, it's a fancy way to say mocha pot in Spanish, okay? You put the mocha pot on the stove. If you're really old school, you got the sock thing going on. Um, if you know what I'm talking about, there you go. Thank you. Okay, so I'm making this mocha pot, right? And I put the heat a little too high, okay? The heat's a little too high. And so with that, when you do that with a, with a greca or a mocha pot, what happens is the, the, the coffee can boil over. And so, so, so it starts boiling over. It starts splashing all over the stove. And in that moment, i like, man, I got to clean this. So I turn the heat off. I move the greca. And I say, you know what? I'm just going to snatch the little iron grate from the stove off real quick so that I can just clean underneath it. Obviously, this thing is piping hot. So here's what I'm saying. Intellectually, I know how fire works. <laughs> I know from my science classes in, in, in high school that metal conducts heat. And I also maybe know my own capacity to, you know, I'm, I'm Puerto Rican. I, I know what it's like, stick your hand in something real hot and like pull it out, you know, like I, I got it. And so I think to myself, this is actually a phenomenal idea. And so I, I grab, <laughs> The little, the, the little grate, you know, that you rest things on on top of your stove. Obviously, I burned the heck out of my fingers, so you can't really see anymore because it's healed a little bit. And so in that moment, I was like, man, this is the story to share. <laughs> because in that moment, we have demonstrated the difference between knowledge and wisdom. <laughs> knowledge says I have an intellectual capacity and understanding for things. I can understand how things work. I can... I, I know what it is that is true and good and beautiful. Wisdom is then taking that thing and applying it rightly. If I actually wanted a better definition of wisdom, the definition of wisdom is this, the ability to make sensible decisions, which that was not, and give good advice, which I guess my failure is the good advice now. The etymology of our word wisdom in English, it comes, it's a compound word in Old English, which it's putting these two wis and dumb together, wis, the root of that being learning or cunning, dumb being a statue or judgment. So in Old English, wisdom is a, is a cunning judgment or a learned statue. When that has its root in what's like a proto-European word, which meaning to see. In other words, at the root of wisdom, is this ability to see and look out at life and know what to do. And over the next few weeks, we are going to be looking at Proverbs to learn how to see, to learn how to look at life and know what to do. But before we dive into Proverbs itself, into these individual sayings and phrases that make up this incredibly intricate and interesting book, we have to first understand what does the Bible mean, what do the scriptures mean when we talk about wisdom. In other words, how do we understand wisdom in light of God's self-revelation? That is our goal today. How do we understand wisdom in light of God's self-revelation? The book of Proverbs itself is part of Israel's wisdom tradition. It is, a, it is a collection of literature within the Old Testament that speaks to Israel's collected 
understanding of wisdom. Those three books are Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, each providing a different facet of what the Bible's understanding of wisdom is. What is the ancient Israelite understanding of wisdom and how it relates to us and God? And so this summer, again, we'll be going through Proverbs, but before we do that, we're gonna park right in the beginning of Proverbs to help us both understand what is wisdom and what is the function of this book called Proverbs. So Proverbs 1, 1 to 7 is the literary lens through which we view the rest of the book. In other, in other words, the author helps us out. When we read Proverbs, when we read Proverbs 1 to 7, the, the author lets us know this is how this book is going to work. It's to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give prudence to the simple, to the young, knowledge and discretion, a wise man will hear and increase in learning. A man of understanding will attain wise counsel to understand a proverb and an enigma, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. This is the Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, summarized into a nutshell. But it's also a brilliant summary of what the Bible means by wisdom. So in understanding the purpose of Proverbs, we also come to understand this biblical view of wisdom. And so there's these six clauses in this beginning of this first chapter, and we're going to break down each of them to understand both the function of Proverbs as a book, but also to understand the function of wisdom as the scriptures dictate it. So verse one, to know wisdom and instruction. The purpose of this book, Proverbs, is first to introduce us to the concept of wisdom. In Hebrew, the word wisdom is chokmah. It can mean many things, and so some of its general meanings is, is chokmah can speak to technical skill. In other words, if you're like a really good artisan, you can have chokmah, you can have wisdom, because you're able to use your artistic craft properly and ingenuitively. Chokmah can also mean the ability to render judgments. If you were a judge, and you sat in court and you were able to render sound, wise judgments. That is chokmah. It also is the ability, can be related to the ability to lead. If you're a good leader, you have chokmah, you have wisdom, you're able to lead people effectively. But all of those meanings are summarized in this kind of root meaning, which is the ability to understand how life works. The ability to understand how life works. I don't, you know, um, you guys, I'm going to assume, given our demographic and age, we've all seen The Matrix, okay? Um, when, when Neo's having that moment where he's able to perceive The Matrix, right? He's able to see past, um, into the code of The Matrix, right? He's able to understand how it works and just bend the rules of space and time, and the movies go downhill from there. But... Chokmah is that. It's that ability to look at life and to kind of see behind the veneer, see behind the curtain, and understand how life works. Now, this vision is rooted in the author's cosmology. What is a cosmology? It's understanding the story of creation. Because according to the ancient Israelite Old Testament literature, Creation is not random, it is not happenstance. Creation is a well-ordered world. Because as Proverbs 3.19 tells us, 
The Lord by wisdom, by chokmah, founded the earth. That in the very creation, God's wisdom dwells. That our earth is observable and that we can observe these laws and effects that make it work is testament to God's wisdom. That it's his wisdom that holds together all creation. And so I can look at life and because life is ordered according to God's wisdom, I can discern how life works. This can be summarized um, by what scholars call the deed-consequence relationship. If you read a lot of the Proverbs, they sound like this. If I do this, this will occur. If I listen to wisdom, I will be wise. If I reject wisdom, I will be a fool. Why? Why does it work like, well, these Proverbs work like this? Because the author believes because the world is ordered according to God's wisdom, certain actions or, 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 or certain ways of being in the world merit certain results. Now, zoom out a bit. The author of Ecclesiastes will come later and say, hold up, author of Proverbs. It doesn't always work like that. Because I could do all the right things, I can be wise, and then the fool next to me gets everything I deserve. And th th then the author of Ecclesiastes brings into this perspective that because we live in a broken world, we don't always reap the benefits of wisdom. But that's for a sermon for another day. The point being is, for the author of Proverbs, because God's world is ordered according to his wisdom, certain deeds merit certain consequences. And so to be wise is to look at life, to look at the world, and say, what right action or what right speech or what right mindset will merit me a wise and just life? This is wisdom. When the Bible talks about wisdom in Proverbs, it's this relationship to the world, being able to look into the world, see how it works, and respond accordingly. But it's not just to know wisdom, it's also to be instructed. That wisdom, by its very nature, is instructive. This word instruction is the word masar, and it's better translated as the word discipline. That for, for the scriptures, the pursuit of wisdom is not a, simply an intellectual exercise. It's rooted in how we respond to life. That to be wise is to let life discipline us, to let life teach us, to learn from our mistakes and grow. And so wisdom is not just knowing how life works and responding, but knowing when we do, um, when, when life does um, kind of trip us up and life does kind of make us stumble, we learn from that. It's instructive. It disciplines us. But even that is not the end of wisdom. The end of wisdom is not just so that you can have a good life, so that you can have the life you desire. To receive the instruction of wisdom also means to receive the instruction of justice, equity, and fairness. In the biblical mindset, wisdom, the byproduct of wisdom is always justice. It is not simply how I try to maneuver through life to kind of have the life I want. It's how do I act and live and respond so that others have the just, fair, equitable treatment they deserve. 
Throughout the scriptures, there's this refrain that appears to do justice and love mercy. That to be wise is to be just. It's bound up in what it means to live wisely in this world, to factor in what will happen to others as the result of my decisions. That's what it means to live wisely. So that means when we think about our lives and we think about how we will respond and move in the world, one of the primary things on our mind should be, how will this affect the other? How will this affect the powerless? How will this affect those in need? Our pursuit of wisdom wisdom should not be cultivated for self-satisfaction or personal success. But the pursuit of wisdom is oriented outward and manifests itself in justice and equity for all. So a decision might appear wise, but if it is not just, it is not wisdom. We move on to verse 4, where the the author kind of identifies, really, who's really going to benefit from wisdom? Who's going to benefit from this book called Proverbs? And he identifies two groups. He calls them the simple, which seems harsh, (laughs) and the young. Now, simple, again, a translation that can be that is the naive, or the person who lacks experience. He groups these together because what do young people often lack? Experience, unless you're applying for a job out of college and they say they need 10 years experience for entry-level position. I don't know how you get that when you're fresh out of college, but hey, that's I guess how the world works now. So the simple, the naive, and the youthful are in desperate need of wisdom. I look in the mirror, I look out of all of us, many of us are young, Maybe some of us are simple. I don't know. But the point is, when when I look at myself and I look at our church, we are people in desperate need of wisdom. Because it is often, the wisdom often comes with experience. And so there's two ways to attain wisdom often. Either you learn the hard way or you learn from someone who's been down the hard way. And so that's kind of the choice for, for, for those of us in this congregation who find ourselves kind of moving through life, kind of navigating new situations, a new city, new relationships. How can I get wisdom? Well, it's to listen to this instruction. It's not just to figure it out on your own, but to put your ear to the ground and listen to the feet of those people who came before you. But there's also this under this, it's, this is not just for those who are young or those who are, lack experience. Because the next verse goes on to say that if a wise man hears this, he will increase in learning. If a wise person understands this, they will attain understanding and counsel. In other words, yes, while young people and people who lack experience need wisdom, the journey of wisdom is never over. That the wise can continue to grow wiser. That the experience can continue to learn. And so really, the author is calling us to this pursuit that says very simply, the journey to wisdom is never finished. You don't achieve wisdom. It is not a class you finish. It is a continual pursuit you'll continue for the rest of your days. And because we are all at once in our life simple and youthful, and because we will never see the fullness of wisdom in our lifetime, every person is called to the task of pursuing wisdom. 
Why? Because if you pursue wisdom, you, know, you can see how life works. You can live a life that is just, equitable, and fair, not just for yourself, but for those around you. And so this is sort of the invitation of Proverbs. This is the invitation of wisdom as the Bible sees it. That wisdom is not this thing you attain, it is not a title you get, but it's this kind of far-reaching hill in the distance. And you can run along the path, but the hill will always be slightly out of reach. Because ultimately, as humans, our capacity for the fullness of wisdom is limited. That's actually the point Job makes about wisdom. At the end of Job, after all of Job's questions, after all his friends chime in with their wisdom, Job says quite simply, God, these questions I have are above my pay grade. And God responds, you have spoken rightly. Why? There's, in the biblical portrait of wisdom, yes, Proverbs tells us, listen, because God has ordered the world according to his wisdom, certain actions merit wise counsel. They merit good outcomes, right? If you're kind, right, there's, there's, there's Proverbs talking about bringing gifts to a king and you'll have favor with them. Pretty self-explanatory, right? There, there's these just innate things we understand about life that let us know if, I, if I'm kind to my neighbor, my neighbor will be kind to me, right? These are basic. If, if I talk off the mouth at someone on the street, I might get slapped. Like these are, these, are, these are observable things in the world that we can understand. Ecclesiastes then says, well, yeah, that's not how it always works. And Job finally says, yeah, you can follow this path, but at the end of the day, your deepest questions are above your pay grade. And this is the complex portrait of wisdom that's provided in the scriptures. And yet, at the same time, despite this complex portrait, we are still called to pursue it. We are still called to live wisely. We are still called to look at life and try to perceive how it works so that the decisions we make are good and just and true for us and those around us. At at verse 6, the the author kind of changes gears, and he begins to talk about the Proverbs themselves. And I think this is important as we enter into this series, because this is where the Proverbs trip people up. Proverbs, at their core, are enigmas. They're riddles. In other words, here's what Proverbs are not. Proverbs are not universal truths. They are not promises, and they are not blessings. They are not universal truths, they are not promises, they are not blessings. Actually, what Proverbs function like is case law. In the ancient Near East, when a judge had to make a right judgment, he would, he would look at the code. And the code didn't cover everything. The code didn't tell you exactly what you needed to do. And a great example, the ancient code of Hammurabi, which is this Babylonian code, it fits on a pillar. So you could assume it's not going to cover every facet of life. That wasn't the point. The point of a code or the point of even the Torah in the Old Testament was not that it was going to cover every facet of life, but that you would read it and learn and be able to apply it to your individual situations. Proverbs function much the same way. Not every proverb is applicable to your daily life, and that's sort of the point. The proverb is not just to give you 
instructions for how to live. It's to teach you how to live. As the old proverb says, you give a man a fish, you feed him, and for a day you teach a man a fish, you feed him for a lifetime. The Proverbs is not just about giving you fish, giving you little pithy bits of wisdom so you can go and try to apply it on Monday. The goal of Proverbs, when you read through it, is to teach you what wise living looks like so that you might learn to see and understand how life works and thus live wisely. And so we come to now to verse 7, and here the proverb, the author of the book of Proverbs kind of peels back the curtain on his whole project. He's giving us the behind the scenes of the thing that kind of undergirds his entire worldview, which is this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, or another translation, is the foundation of wisdom or knowledge. This is the belief that undergirds the entire book of Proverbs. That the fear of the Lord, or, the, or, or better translated, awe and reverence for the Lord, in other words, to look on the Lord and to say, to be like Job and say, God, yeah, how this entire world works itself out, I may not be able to understand, but I know you do. That kind of awe that comes before a transcendent holy God and says, yeah, I kind of recognize now that I'm a person of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips, like Isaiah says when he comes into the throne room of God. This kind of awe, this reverence, this understanding that God is God and we are not. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The fear of the Lord, this awe and reverence for God, recognizing who he is, that he is utterly transcendent and beyond our capacity for reason. And yet, there is a word in Hebrew that is the general form for the word God. It's the word Elohim, right? If you just wanted to say God, like lowercase g-o-d, right, you would use the word in Hebrew Elohim or El. But that's not what the author of Proverbs uses here. He could say like an abstract on reverence for God is the beginning of knowledge. Like God abstracted as this big kind of distant, gray bearded, kind of hovering over the world, kind of pulling the puppet strings, vision of God. If we're honest, maybe that's some of us, that's our vision of God. The kind of old man behind the curtain who kind of doesn't want to be known and doesn't want to be named. If the author of the book of Proverbs wanted to make that point, that, that, that the beginning of knowledge is, is fear of this abstract entity, then he would have said that. But what, verse 7, what he uses here, that when we say the fear of the Lord, if you look in your Bibles, if you have your Bible open, you see that word Lord is all capital letters. That is not a, a, a spelling mistake. That is to translate the word Adonai, which is, which is Lord, which is the word used to replace, when, when, when Jewish people, people speak the scriptures aloud, God's divine name, Yahweh. So this verse could read, the fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Here's why this is significant. In this moment, 
At the end of his summary of what wisdom and what the Proverbs are, this is what the author says. This is not in awe of an abstract entity beyond you. True wisdom, true knowledge, the foundation of it is rooted not in an abstract God miles away, but in a person with a name. The fear of Yahweh. Yahweh is the name God gives to Moses. I am that I am, or I will be who I will be. This is God's personal name. This is what he puts on the name tag when he visits Moses at the burning bush. This is the name by which the God of Israel is known. And so the implication here, it is not enough to be have reverence for a God with no name or some sort of creator that's out there. But wisdom begins with knowing a personal God who wants to be known. The pursuit of wisdom is not a pursuit of abstract ideals or abstract tidbits of how to live. The pursuit of wisdom is the pursuit of a person. This gets picked up by Paul in the New Testament in his letter to the Corinthians where he says this, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, for it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God not made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews want signs, and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block, to the Greeks foolishness, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. In Paul's articulation here, in his ministry to the Greeks, right, the Greeks are, I mean, the Greeks gave us the foundations for West, at least Western philosophy, right? Pythagoras, Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, Seneca, Marcus Aurelius, I can keep going. And what the Greeks wanted when they heard Paul preach, they wanted wisdom. They, they wanted to figure out how to live. And what Paul gave them frustrated them. Because when they asked for wisdom, Paul gave them a person. When they wanted to figure out how to live, Paul didn't give them a list of things to do or a collection of wise sayings. He gave them a person. He gave them Christ crucified. He gave them a man on a cross. And if we connect that to what the author is saying in Proverbs, here is, here is the catch. To pursue wisdom is to pursue the person of Jesus. That wisdom at its very core is relational. That to know 
is not simply to have an intellectual knowing of wisdom, but have a personal way of relating to wisdom, because wisdom is a person. We see this in Proverbs. Wisdom gets personified as a woman crying out in the streets, saying, here's wisdom, here I am, come seek me, come find me. And Jesus, that very same portrait of the woman crying out in the streets is also the portrait given here to Jesus, that Jesus is the very wisdom of God, crying out to the streets saying, seek me and you will find me. Knock and the door will be open. Chase after me and I will chase after you because I already have chased after you and I am here ready for relationship and if you know me, you know wisdom. That if you want to know how to live, it starts by knowing me. I say this because our generation is not, and, and our, our culture is not starved for knowledge. We have knowledge. At this point in our history, knowledge is the most easily accessible thing available. It's a Google search away. It's a scroll of the thumb away. We are not starved for knowledge, but I think a lot of, a lot of us, we feel so overwhelmed because what we don't know is we don't know what to do with this knowledge. We have knowledge but no wisdom. And if wisdom is a person, what we don't need is more knowledge. What we need is a person who can give context to our knowledge, who can teach us how to use our knowledge, who can teach us how to understand the world and how it works through the lens of his own person. And Ben, come up to join me, and communion servers, get ready. Because where we want to land the plane is here. If we go into this series together as a church and believe to ourselves that we will grow in knowledge by this sort of like esoteric pursuit of of, of knowledge, of if I just know more things, if I read more books, if I, if I listen to more podcasts, if I, if I take another class, you know, if I, if I sit in on another class at a college campus, that I will grow in knowledge and thus wisdom. And I think the invitation for this series for us is not just to grow in knowledge. We have knowledge. I, I talk to a lot of you. You are, you are a brilliant group of people. You know a lot. And that, that's a beautiful thing. But as a community, if we want to be wise, it's not our collective knowing that will get us there. It's the person and work and presence of Jesus. And over the next few weeks, as you hear people preach and speak about wisdom and living wisely, just remember, at the core of this, that cannot be done without the person and presence of Jesus. And here's the thing about Jesus' wisdom. According to Paul, it looks foolish to everyone else. In a moment, we're going to take communion. Communion is the foolishness of God that is the wisdom of man. Communion is saying, how will I save the world? I will break my own body and shed my own blood. The Greeks thought that was crazy. And yet, it's the power and wisdom of God. And so if we want to be wise, the best thing we can do is get under the feet of Rabbi Jesus, stare up at his body with the holes in his hands and the hole in his side and say, this broken God who died for me 
is the very wisdom I need, and I will gain it, not by pursuing abstract ideas of God. I, I, I'm passionate about this because that has been my vision of Christianity for a long time. If I just knew more, if I, if, if I, if I took another, if I got another degree, I, that's it, I'll be able to figure this whole Christian life thing out. And I have too many books to count. I love knowledge, I love learning, I love academia. Trust me. Whenever we move apartments, we have to move like 300-something books, okay? So I love knowledge. Don't mishear me. This is not anti-intellectualism, guys, and spirituality. But it is a heart cry from someone who understands that all the knowledge in the world won't do you a lick of good if you have not the person of Christ. And so I'll pray for us, um, and we'll take the bread and the cup, and that will be our response today. Because this, while it looks foolish to everyone else, is the wisdom of God that teaches us how to live. For wisdom is personal, wisdom has a name, and its name is Jesus. So Father, we come to your table, we approach this broken body, which seemed foolish to everyone else, God. How does a dying king rule over all? But this is your wisdom, that through brokenness you heal, through death you conquer, and if we just connect ourselves to you and your life-giving spirit, You'll take all the knowledge we have, all these brilliant things you've given us, all the brilliant insights you've given us, but it'll be your spirit that teaches us how to live. So we come to your table, ready to feast on the foolishness of God, because we know it is your wisdom and power. In Christ's name.